So Erica, how about if we um, take some more questions, if there are any? There are more questions, um, and let me get right back into those. We have one from S. Nelson who asked, do annuitized lifetime payments receive the same legal protections from creditors as the non-annuitized holdings in your employer plan? Well, it's a different, it's a different issue. So when we're talking about creditor protection, um, so let's say for discussion's sake, um, that you are sued for one reason or another, whether it's a car accident, whether it's a malpractice, depending on what you do. Um, some, somebody sues you and they win, all right? So now you owe somebody money. And let's assume for discussion's sake that all you have is a retirement plan. Uh, maybe it's an IRA. Uh, you even get better creditor protection if it is an ERISA plan, um, like a 401k, um, uh, the traditional TIAA plans have very good creditor protection. Um, OJ Simpson has this huge judgment hanging over his head, but they can't get to his money because it is in a protected uh, retirement plan from creditors. So they can't reach that money. Okay. If you annuitize, and let's just say for discussion's sake that you're 65 and you project that you're going to get, say, $25,000 a year for the next 20 years or whatever it is, they can't reach the future, the future distributions that you're going to receive. Now, then you sometimes get into the issue of, well, what about the $25,000 you're getting every year? Um, but the point is, is that you can't, they can't reach that principle, if you will, and maybe even a bankruptcy uh, will make that go away and your money was protected. Um, we had one case, um, <laughs> somebody didn't like paying 1%, so they took the money out and they used their retirement plan to buy some raw lands in Florida. It's a true story, by the way. And so the, re the payments were coming from their retirement plan. So every year they were making payments from their retirement plan into um, payments for this raw land in Florida. And for whatever reason, the raw land never materialized, but they still had to make the payments. And then they came back to me and say, hey, gee, what do, what do we do? We, we have, and if they had done nothing, they would have had to have kept paying from their retirement plan until they were literally broke. And I said, no, 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 we can't let that happen. Um, so we actually declared bankruptcy. So we got them out of their payment to the um, group that sold them the land in Florida. Um, so they didn't owe that money anymore. Of course, they had to give up their interest in the land in Florida, but so what? But the rest of their IRA was protected. So you do have significant protection with IRAs and 401ks and 403bs, et cetera. Um, and you still get protection by annuitizing, but um, that is one of the advantages of actually keeping money in a 401k or 403b as opposed to taking money out and paying taxes on it. And you get slightly better creditor protection in a 403b or 401a than an IRA, but you have pretty good protection in an IRA also. 
I think we have time for one more and then we can move on, okay? Great, thanks, Jim. Um, I think this question from Robert may be a follow-up to the initial question that I asked from him before. Uh, but he says, how about taking the annual TPA or third-party administrator distribution lump sum and rolling it into traditional in the SRA or supplemental retirement annuity to get 3%? Well, first of all, I don't think the supplemental retirement annuities are paying 3% off the top of my head. Um, you know, I said that this discussion uh, related to retirement annuities or group retirement annuities, I, I haven't checked what the most recent rates are for the SRA. The SRA, the supplemental retirement annuity, uh, tends to be much more liquid depending on the contract with the university. Um, I'm not sure that you're gonna get a much better rate in, by taking money from another source, let's even just say an IRA, and putting it in an SRA. Again, I'm, I'm gonna, I usually let the investment people worry about that. I'm more of a strategy guy, but I don't think that that's gonna end up being a big win strategy. Why don't we take one more because that one, uh, wasn't as fun because I like the more conceptual strategy questions. Well, unfortunately, this is not a strategy specific question, but I think it is a good question and it's something that we should probably clarify. So uh, someone asked privately, could you clarify what the offer is? If you know that you want an updated will estate planning uh, and you're an unmarried taxpayer tax advice, preparation and filing for uh, advice and document preparation, which with their own charges, what does the paid consult $15,000 provide that you would need? So I guess maybe could you explain, and also I wanted to tell the audience uh, that if you are seriously interested in assets under management or in a financial master plan, which Jim is going to explain a little bit, in a little bit better detail to answer this question in just a moment, uh, I really do suggest that you go ahead and fill out that form now because you'll be higher up on the list. We actually have a backlog of appointments and we also have current appointments, our current clients that we need to ha have appointments with or that our CPAs need to meet with this year. So it's, it's not hype and really knows what he's talking about uh, with university specific stuff. And our CPAs are even more detailed in their knowledge. So I, I think you'll be very impressed. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do a, a more thorough one at the end, but, but basically what the financial master plan is, and it was developed because there is such a demand for this kind of information. There's a lot of investment houses, and I don't want to say anything bad about anybody, whether it's TIA or anybody else, who they want to talk about the investments. Oh, well, we can get you a half a percent higher if we do this, or, well, we have a special timing uh uh, model that over time we think is going to do better than the market or, well, we have these special, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's pretty darn hard to beat the market. I love the investment vehicles that our investment uh, partners are using, uh, which, by the way, come from academia. Um, a couple Nobel Prize winners from the University of Chicago actually formed dimensional funds that is the core investment of Buckingham um, and another one of the investment uh, advisors that we use for investments. And I can go on and on about that. 
But to me, it's not like, oh, we're going to beat Vanguard after our fees by 3%. That's nah, not going to happen. We're going to get the asset allocation right. We're going to do a lot of things right that has a lot of value. But to me, the certainty of value that you're typically going to get is going to be the advice. How much of a Roth IRA conversion should you make? When should you make it? What should your will look like? I will tell you, you know, we've been doing estate planning for more than 30 years and specifically estate planning for professors and people who tend to have significant amounts of money in their IRAs and their retirement plans. And almost universally, uh, those estate plans are botched. If you're a Pennsylvania resident, we actually are licensed to draft and, and we actually do wills and trusts and beneficiary designations ourselves. Uh, we're not allowed to practice law without a license in other states. But again, that doesn't mean that we can't tell a local attorney, maybe even somebody that we know, what we think uh, should be in your plan. This is going to sound a little arrogant, but when I do these financial master plans, I kind of consider them masterpieces, and I don't want them wrecked by some estate attorney who isn't on the same wavelength as us, or again, it's going to sound a little arrogant, just isn't doing the job that I believe uh, you deserve. So sometimes we have to make recommendations. Sometimes we even have to review the documents to make sure that, <laughs> that they drafted consistent with our recommendations, which usually doesn't happen the first time. Then we do we talk about Roths. Uh, you might be in, in a situation where the most important thing that you could do is to make gifts to your family. We talk about how much money you can spend. Um, I was just I was just with a client um, and um, they, there was a lot of money there. And for years I've been nagging them to, you know, you could afford to spend more money. You don't have to live like a graduate student anymore. And, and the husband says, well, gee, I've really listened to you, Jim. I now pay to have no ads in my YouTube. Okay, big shot. You're paying 12 bucks a month and you think that that's a major change. Well, your daughter's about to have a baby. Um, in a different city, I don't want to mention which one because I don't want I want to preserve confidentiality. I'm changing one or two of the details. But your daughter's about to have a daughter. Um, your daughter's about to have a child in a different city. Wouldn't you and your wife love to have a place there, maybe to rent to start or maybe to buy there so you can be near your new grandchild? That's what I had in mind. Now, put a price on that kind of recommendation. You should have seen the smile that mom had as soon as I said it. And I actually think there's a good chance they're going to do it, where even though they're smart, they have a lot of money, I've been nagging them to spend money, that probably never occurred to them. So we, we do some of these life-changing events, uh, gifting, Roth conversions, estate planning, um, and, and each one of those, these engagements is unique. Um, and we charge $15,000 for it. Uh, if it's simpler, we will charge $10,000. It, it's based on two things. One is complexity and two, the amount of time needed because we're gonna, I'm going to be involved personally. Um, we're going to have our number crunching CPAs involved. We're going to have um, some very good estate attorneys involved. And there is a huge demand for that. In fact, that's the 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 uh, type that we, we're, we're never going to be able to fulfill all the requests. So we're, we're kind of like, we carved out two slots, the rest of the people will get there. 
uh, on uh, a waiting list. And then we have the more traditional assets under management approach. But that to me is a real win because for the same, let's say 1% or less that you're paying, which is, that's a pretty competitive rate. We believe you're not only getting great investment uh, services, but you're also getting us, you know, for that financial master plan, and you're getting us to do reviews every year on a year by year by base year by year basis. And I'll look you in the digital eye and tell you that I, and I've been around for you know I've been doing this you know 35 years. I've seen a lot of different models. Um, I believe that this is the best model because I am splitting the fee with the money manager. So it's not a popular model because guys like me want the full 1% or the money manager wants the full 1%. In this case, we're both on low profit margins, but we think that it is a winner for you. So I'm going to repeat that again at the very end, but I did want to answer that question. Um, why don't we take one more and then we'll go into a new area, if that's okay. Uh, actually, I have been given a mandate by the marketing team to say that we only have 30 minutes and we know there's a ton more content. So how about um, if anyone has questions, please share them and I will save them for the Q&A or for the afternoon session. <laughs> okay, so I've been mandated by the real boss. At home, it's my wife here. It's Erica in the marketing department. All right, so why don't we go to the next area um, and I didn't even know if I was going to get this far. Um, you know, I rehearse these things and sometimes um, I go further and faster and sometimes I'm a little slower. Let me tell you what's one of the great um, opportunities that many professors have that very few take advantage of, and that is gifting. So I mentioned earlier the possibility of taking some money out of a retirement plan, paying taxes on it, gifting the money and having the money invested in something tax-free like a 529 plan or life insurance or a health savings plan or a Roth IRA or to use that money for your heirs Roth IRA conversions. Sometimes gifting can be the most important strategy. So I'll just give you a simple example. Let's say that you are in a potential federal estate tax situation, all right? And let's say that there is a million dollars that you know that you're never going to need. And what is the, and, and let's just say for discussion's sake that you're 60 years old. And what is the, uh, and let's assume it's even just to make it easier, assume that it's outside an IRA or retirement plan. What is the status quo of that billion dollars? Let's assume it's invested at 7%, all right? At 7%, it's gonna double every 10 years. So you start a million, 10 years later, it's 2 million, 10 years later, it's 4 million, 10 years later, it's 8 million. So you die with that $8 million. Let's say you are in a federal estate tax situation, and let's just say the, um, the federal estate tax is 40% on that. So you're looking at about uh, maybe an extra $3 million in taxes. Example number two, you take that million dollars and, and you are allowed to do what's called a credit consuming gift. A lot of people just think, well, no, you're limited to 16,000 a year. 
that's true, or 32,000 if you're married, um, but that is only if, if you don't want to eat into your exclusion. Well, it might make sense to eat into your exclusion. So at your death, instead of having um, 8 million and typically, let's say you'd still have a million dollar exclusion because you didn't make the gift, here, because you did make the gift, you don't, you'd say have seven million, but the savings on that would be the estate tax on seven million. So again, at 40%, you're, you're, you're talking about the potential of saving a couple million dollars in taxes. Now, yes, that's on the higher side, but it is a, a very real um, possibility. And I would say one of the biggest mistakes that professors make, a lot of times they're too little, too late on Roth IRA conversions. They're too little, too late on personal spending, which by the way is very important. And they're also too little and too late on gifting. And the other thing about gifting is it is often done when kids need the money the most. So let's take, um, I'm gonna change some of the facts for confidentiality. But let's take two professors that I have, and this is motivated by real life. Um, and there's a lot of money there, and they're relatively frugal, and they're never going to spend anywhere near the amount of money that they have. And one is kind of old school who says, hey, gee, you know, other than maybe a down payment for a home um, or an emergency basis, I'm, I really don't want to give, uh, and let's just keep it simple, my daughter uh, any serious gifts until I die, all right? So the daughter who is doing something that is socially very worthwhile for which the parents approve, working for a nonprofit, being very productive, is living close to the edge in poverty while their parents have way more money than they ever need. And then when that child is probably in their 60s, after their parents die, that child will inherit millions and millions of dollars. By the way, it's going to get clobbered by taxes from the SECURE Act. And they'll, they'll have spent all those years in near poverty. Example number two, similar fact patterns, similar ages, similar amount of money. Uh, the child uh, works for a nonprofit for which the parents approve. But the parents have been very generous with gifts. And that child was able to afford to get married, afford to have um, children, have their children's college education taken care of. And yes, when the parents die, they'll have, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars less. But boy, that, that couple hundred thousand dollars that went to the child to support the child when they needed it, boy, what a difference in lifestyle and what a difference in terms of the value of the family money. Now, I'm not saying that you should give your spendthrift, very young child, you know, so much money that they'll have a different work ethic that they're, you know, that they're just gonna sit on their butt and not work. And I recognize that there is a tension between uh, gifting too much and too early and in the wrong way versus um, being smart about gifts but I would say that the vast majority of my professor clients err on not giving enough and not giving enough early. And particularly, certain gifts uh, are just very natural for professors, such as 529 plans, 
which is uh, a tax-free method of saving, most likely for your grandchildren's education. So it's really important. People really miss it. Again, I'm, you know, if you need the money for yourselves, I get it. Um, but so many professors, frankly, and this is not all that unusual, um, they got married relatively early in their careers, uh, started a family, their salary wasn't great, even if they were in a good field, you know, like one of the sciences. Um, but if they were at the University of Pittsburgh, where the university's putting in 12%, they're putting in 8%, or even a different university with a, a, a smaller contribution, their retirement plan tends to grow like crazy, you know, tax deferred, or in the case of Roth, tax-free growth for all these years, they end up with a lot of money uh, towards the end of their lifetime, and they don't make the gifts that they could. Um, so it's really important to keep an open mind. And one of the things that we would we do when we do this financial master plan, or we actually do the actual um, investing, is we go over this every year. And I will tell you honestly, for some of our clients, the biggest value that we have provided isn't necessarily getting the exact amount of Roth, Roth IRA conversion, getting the investments just right, even getting the estate planning just right. Some of it is just encouraging people to spend more money and to gift more money so that they utilize their money much better during their life and after they are gone. A leverage gifting, that is where you are um, giving money to a child who is then using that money in a very tax efficient way, like Roth IRAs, uh, like life insurance, uh, like 529 plans, like HSAs. Uh, the other thing that I will mention, um, so you're, you're cutting taxes, you're cutting transfer taxes, you're cutting income taxes, because in that example where the million grew to 8 million, there's, there's income taxes associated with that and your kids or grandkids are most likely in a much lower tax bracket. Um, you're distributing the money when they when it is needed. And the other big thing I am very big on is buying experiences. Uh, right now, we obviously have some travel restrictions, uh, whether even self-imposed. Um, but my father-in-law, who is now 97 years old, um, since I've been married, which has been, I guess, 27 years, uh, he has held an annual gathering. Uh, it's in the Poconos. He invites the whole family in. He pays for everything, the travel. Uh, he pays for everything except booze. Um, and all the cousins go. My daughter, who is now, she'll be 27. Uh, she's very close with her cousins, even though none of them live in Pennsylvania. Now they chat on Zoom. And she feels like she's part of a clan because he has, in effect, bought a family experience. And yes, when he dies, there'll be a little bit less money that the heirs will inherit, but boy, what a legacy of this, this clan feeling that my daughter and the other cousins have, even though they're scattered geographically all over the country. So maybe it's not exactly a form of gifting, but I'm a big fan of buying experiences, uh, particularly with family and friends.